Welcome to the podcast, Cutting for Sign. I'm Ron Cecil, the men's life coach and writer, together with my co-host, best friend and artist, Daniel Penner-Klein. Throughout our lives and as friends over the past decade, we've asked, how do we find the clues and puzzle pieces that align us with our higher potential? Join us as we converse with experts, artists, adventurers, mental health professionals, and fellow deep thinkers as we cut for sign and attune our own potential, mental health, and creativity. like the sky. Hey everybody, welcome to Cutting for Sign. Ron Cecil here. Yeah, right on, Ron Cecil. Daniel Penner Klein, 98, is that what it is? That we are episode on? 98. That feels good, man. This does. What do you, this how does. do you feel about the uh, little, the idea we have for number 100? I'm actually really into it. Well, it was your idea. I hope you're in. That's what, that's why I'm really into it. Really. Yeah, into man. It. Me too. I hope it happens, but I have not, I, I guess. So, so I, let's hear, let's give people the, what the, the idea is. Yeah. So go ahead. The idea is that we, we pick a few of you guys, few listeners who have, who have uh, demonstrated your loyalty to the clan <laughs> and, <laughs> Yikes. and uh, <clears throat> to the group. And clan is such a loaded word now, isn't to the it? Cult? <laughs> there you go. That's what I want to hear to the, the cult. cult. And no, there's no cult. Want to be uh, a guest on our podcast with us for the episode 100. Well, we'll be joining the centennial episode. Joining several other guests. Uh, uh, yeah, we so, already have a few people booked, so it'd like be a little roundtable with some guests. Yeah. Well, not yeah. guests with some listeners. Listeners who are guests. Well, I've been surprised at, you know, we've, we've pitched maybe five yeah. specific listeners and I've been a little surprised at how unenthusiastic or tentative they've been enthusiastic, but like read What is the word when you're reticent, you know, you're just, you're, I you're think so, what, what I'm realizing <laughs> is, and I, I don't want to speak for anybody, but what I'm realizing is, um, for some it's, it's quite, in, um, yeah. intimidating, intimidating to have to be in a kind of a public setting to speak and to talk and i forget that that's that's quite uh, unnerving for some folks that's what i got from the one that said i'm not sure to me but yeah. another one was like this is fucking awesome i'm totally in yeah. and then another one did the same thing so i got i got nice. two that are going to join us and maybe a third mm -hmm. um you know if there's any super fans out there that listen to this and they want to come on you know if I, you are I listening to this up. and your ears are perking and your tail's wagging <laughs> that's probably Reach your out. sign but yeah Reach out, Reach out. To us. We you love can that. Be, and we're going to talk about cutting for sign, like what what that means to people. And it's just a loose framework, right? To have a good talk, but mm -hmm. yeah. So, and then really, what we're going to ask is like, who if between the two of us, who's the better person all around? Just all around, all around. Person. Oh, yeah. you're definitely the better person all around. I don't know. <laughs> Undoubtedly, Are you kidding me, dude? I did something the other day, and I was just like, dude, man. What'd okay. you do? Yell at an old lady across the car? I can't say, car? but it was. You sketchy. can't say. It was sketchy. <laughs> Ethically sketchy? Like morally? Like what was... All, all. <laughs> it wasn't unkind to anybody. Mm -hmm. And there were, it was a victimless crime. Let's put it that way. Did you reach into the till when the person checking you out, like just turned their back for a second? <laughs> like, I would never do that. York. Never do that. What no. was, when was the last time you committed a petty crime? That was well, like I, just, actual, I just told you. I well, well, you didn't say what it was. 
<laughs> it was it speeding. Was it speeding? No, yeah, it was some stupid thing like that. But it was like, you know, it was just a little further than than I'm comfortable going, and and mm-hmm. uh, I was having a hard day, and I was low energy at the end of the day, and and feeling pretty rejected and bummed. And then uh, an opportunity to gray the lines of morality, uh, pres- you know, came strolling by my path. And I just said hi and took its hand and we went on a little walk. <laughs> <laughs> At what point later did you realize maybe I crossed a blurred line there? The second that the idea crossed my mind to do it before it even happened. But you still did it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you the last time I really that I like consciously really really blurred the line was in college. College, I was I was working in a grocery store just temporary. I I knew I needed a few weeks pay to like pay for a summer trip. And this sounds like thievery. And so I I got a job, um, you know, stocking grocery stores at night, and I and I remember walking by the cigarette stand mm. and and it was like just grabbed a pack of lucky sticky, strikes sticky, sticky <laughs> and somebody called me out on it not that oh. not at work but someone i knew i was friends with and they saw me smoking and i was like yeah i just took him from work and they were like you just took him from work i go yeah and they go that's stealing and then it wasn't until that point that i was like you're right that is stealing and i i've not done that since then Really which I feel like is a bragging thing, but it's not really <laughs> like it's not, it's nothing to be proud of for not stealing. I mean, you know, it's an interesting topic because I, I think there's a charm in people who are willing to do uncomfortable things. And when there's no one that's being hurt by those things, I think there's a lot of room to have a lot more fun in life and to be a look, to let those aspects of ourselves out that want the way that we talk about all the time that aren't really allowed to live in the world, you know, and, you know, it's that, it's that cool cat burglar, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the anybody who bucks the system, you know, it's the like, it's, it's Puya Hishemi uh, the other, the other day when he talked about the, the subtle manipulation that it takes and the implanting of ideas, and then the boldness to go through with that. And that's half of magic you know, the chance taking. I like that. I like touching. It's you at the pharmacy picking up my drugs for me, lying and saying you're my brother, you know, off that was on beautiful. A whim. I, I didn't ask it. you to do that. And there was no victim, you know, I, I, I do like that. So the, the other day when I did my schedule thing, it was me just like kind of partially just ex- the excitement of pulling off a caper. Did you go by a pseudonym? Did you call yourself something different? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I know uh, Johnny's about to come in, and I did want to set this up a little bit. So, so today we have Johnny Boyd. We're talking about uh, we're talking to my favorite uh, voice uh, out in the world, singing voice. He's a crooner, a singer. But he requested uh, that we talk about art and how art changes in an artist's uh, career, and I thought that was a great idea. So, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting thing to think about. Even, I mean, you know, we're at a place in our life where if we had asked ourselves a couple of years ago, you know, to to imagine life two years into the future, what would it look like? And I think we would have we would have had some ideas, but we wouldn't have really known, you know. And and now, now looking back, we think, oh, oh, like it's in some ways better than we've ever could have imagined, but but different. 
And I often think that's the way our careers as artists or as, you know, makers or whatever we want to call ourselves goes. Like we have an idea of what it should be, but then life, then real life happens. And along that path of real life, things change. We go up, we go down, we go left, we go right. And then uh, in some ways it's incredible. In other ways it's, you know, we're going to have to deal with, you know, I don't want to call it disappointment, but dealing with unmet expectations and then maturing into going, oh, unmet expectations are really releasing our expectation of control and allowing the universe to support us along the way. That's my two cents on, on this process. Interesting, man. Yeah. That's an interesting kind of angle from it. Cause that, yeah. Okay. Cause that comes off like a little bit meta. You're like, you're taking the big, big look at it, you know, yeah. and that'll be like, here's his pitch. He he sent me an email. He, he took, he loves going to New York city and he mm. went to with his wife to go check out. Um, uh, well, I'll read the email. He said, I did have an idea while I was in New York, my wife and I went back to catch one of the last days of the Edward Hopper exhibit at the Whitney Museum. So Hopper is uh, the guy who did the that famous uh, Classic painting diner painting. Diner, yeah. yeah, on the street corner at night. Yeah. Yeah. yeah love and it. he said he says uh Hopper's one of my favorite uh mid-century painters. <clears throat> I love how that presumes that he has other favorite <laughs> mid-century painters. <laughs> okay, buddy. <laughs> the guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. He painted one of the best works up until the last few years of his life. Uh, one of his best works up until the last few years of his life, 80 years old. Wow. And it was interesting to compare his earlier works and projects to his later. His longtime style didn't stay, uh, didn't stray that much compared to, say, Picasso, but the things and people he did choose to paint varied over time. I haven't heard many artists talk about this phenomenon very often. They always seem to want to concentrate on what they're doing now, perhaps for marketing and publicity purposes. And he, and he says, I get tired of that. All that said, this topic would be a conversation I'd probably like to have, and I think fits into the theme of your podcast. Um, I, I love it, man. So I, yeah. I love that idea, pitching that idea and the topic of conversation because it, it has very much to do with being authentic and what the world's demanding of you. I, I'm, I'm into it. Beautiful. And just, so before we uh, have him on, you know, he, you told me a great story about how you found out found this guy. <clears throat> You want to get into that a little bit or you want to wait till he comes on uh he's not waiting for us yet Mm-mm. oh fuck man it's a good one it's a good does he one. know this does he know how this all happened i did share it with him yes that yeah. was what was one of the p- p- points of the uh that was one of my that's how you tricked him onto getting on made <laughs> up okay, story so, <laughs> so basically i would i back in the 90s i would hear <clears throat> i would hear this voice or this song every once in a while or a couple different songs they had this very very distinct voice i just Mm. went whoa that is a fucking awesome voice and you know just for years that that voice kind of was around i'd hear it you know in different circumstances those songs and and then i was hanging out with a friend 20 years later Mm. which is just a year or two ago yeah. And I'm hanging out with a friend and we're listening and doing some research for like something we were doing that they, they, the type of music was kind of that type of music. We came across a couple of, of those songs and I went and I told her that story. I was like, this guy's my favorite. Who the fuck is this? Hmm. And the band was Indigo Swing. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Okay, Indigo Swing. I hadn't remembered that. 
And then I said, well, who's the guy? And we were looking and Googling and we couldn't really find it. You know, and this partially is just the quick Googling isn't really coming up with much, but usually when you Google something pretty quick, it's, yeah. it's there. Yeah. Couldn't find his name. I was like, what the hell? We had to look on the back of some album covers and like, okay, we tracked his name down. And then we're like, okay, I think this is his name, no pictures. And then uh, I was like, okay, well, where's he now? And it all we could find was Johnny Boyd had moved on to other to pursue other interests. Sometime life of, in the, life of crime. <laughs> sometime <laughs> in the like aughts, you know, or something. I can't remember. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, interesting. So he just disappeared. And he, I guess he was at LA, California. I, I couldn't really figure out where he's from. You know, again, a lot of this is just because we were we were doing a relatively quick Google, but <clears throat> so I forget about it. So then like a month later, I'm up in Portland from California because I was yeah. living part-time up in Portland and I'm in my art studio in Portland and it's a big collective of all kinds of artists. It's a huge space with it's like a great space. Businesses. Yeah. It's yeah. You've been there. Yeah. So I'm up in this little perch in mine and I hear below my perch in the main space, this jazz band. I'm like, well, that's cool. I wonder what they're doing. There's always all kinds of people hustling and bustling. So new projects and music. So I go down and I'm like, hey, what's up with this? They go, yeah, it's a big band, jazz big band. They go, we use this space on Wednesdays to practice now. I was like, that's awesome. And I was like, hey, you know, funny thing. I was just, uh, you know, talking a little jazz, you know, music, swing music with a friend. And I relayed the story I just told you about my trying to figure out who Johnny Boyd was. And I'm not kidding. The guy looks at me and he goes, yeah, Johnny Boyd. He's my good friend. He, no he lives here in town. He lives in what? Portland. Yeah. What? <laughs> so he went from obscure guy. I don't know where he is. Definitely. He was never a Portland guy. Yeah. To my understanding was to like, I'm talking to his friend. And then the friend goes, you should tell him that story. You just told me, I'll give you his contact. And so I'm like, all of a sudden, that's like, wild. and I sent him the story and he, he gets right back and he says, Oh, that's thank you. Like that. That was awesome yeah. to hear. I appreciate that. And then I, wanted to go out for a cocktail with him because I was like, well, let's go one step further. I want to like BS with this guy. And he was like, yeah, you know, I'm coming off of coming. It's coming off of COVID. I'm kind of locked down. I was like, sure. You know, might've been a brush off. I didn't worry about it. He was super nice. And then like a year later, I kept thinking about, I was like, man, I'll touch base again. And then mm -hmm. I thought, wait a minute, I co-host a fucking sweet podcast <laughs> on the podcast. And he said, you know, he had some questions and listened to some episodes. He was like, you guys actually do a really good job. I'd love to come on. So, and then our preparatory phone call for this was like an hour and a half. And he's awesome. Awesome. He's a gem, man. Is he outside? Is he like waiting for me to go get him to bring him up here or something? Is he still not here? <laughs> no. Oh. There he is. There it is. All right. Yes. Johnny Boyd, you are a singer, songwriter, AKA crooner, composer as well as a cocktailier and deep dish vintage 1940s belly warmer necktie collector, 9,700 pieces and counting. You began singing and performing at the age of eight in the Phoenix Boys Choir and later signed as a major label rec recording artist. You have recorded dozens of original songs and have licensed many for use in motion pictures, television, and gaming. You are the former Indigo Swing frontman, known for your work ethic, at times 300 plus gigs a year worldwide with the ability to move an audience from smiles to tears in one sitting. You have been long acclaimed as one of the most versatile vocal performers of today, a songwriter of genius proportion, butter smooth and assured grace to every note, born to sing and with the vision of a renegade artist. Your music blends swing, jazz, pop, country, gospel,
gospel, rock, torch, and jump blues into a stage show, equal parts joy and musicianship, at sometimes nostalgic charisma, and at others irreverent and dynamic. Jazz Review said of you, he touches on so many musical styles with amazing sincerity, a high plaintive tenor and excellent phrasing, and a warm tremble. Perhaps NPR summed you up best. If Frank Sinatra and Johnny Cash had a love child, it would be Johnny Boyd. Johnny, you believe in consistent long-term growth in acting on what you believe in, despite what others might want or demand of you, and in challenging yourself with nuance and subtlety. As one periodical said of you, like Frank, Johnny does it his way. All right, Johnny, welcome to Cutting for Sign. That's probably the best bio I've ever heard. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Glad to I hear. Wanna, I'm going to go out and get all my stuff now. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm going sure. to join my own mailing list. There you go. <laughs> it's a pleasure to write, man. You are a special. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. It's Absolutely. very kind. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. And so what I thought was really cool and unique about uh, this conversation uh, Ronald and I already went through in our uh, in the draw. We talked a little bit about uh, how uh, I came to know you of you in the world <clears throat> and how you ended up here. So we don't really have to get into that. I'll spare you that. Uh, but what I loved in our communication beforehand is you sent me this email um, about uh, the Edward Hopper art show that you went to uh, in New York. And then you had an idea to discuss um how an artist's art changes over time and i just thought that was a great idea excellent idea so right. you know let's let's just go straight into that okay yeah uh yeah that that was a um my wife and i love to go to new york and, and uh we were there about six months ago and we heard about the uh edward hopper exhibit that was going on at the whitney museum mm. uh -huh. and He's, he's, for those of people who don't know who he is, he's a mis great mid-century artist um, that painted into the 60s, late 60s, I think. And um, he's the guy that did the famous Nighthawks painting. Maybe you guys have seen that. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Corner yeah cafe in the middle Excellent. of the room. Yeah. Right. He was a great uh, New Yorker and loved uh, to paint scenes in new york he loved the architecture he loved he loved to show the mixing of the new buildings and the old buildings and he he, he did a lot of trade magazines you know in a, when he just right out of art school and stuff but his his passion was really painting the light in new york and painting the buildings and the way that they sh the shapes hit the light and and then he would put, um, he had other themes that he would paint, you know, women, a, a woman looking out of a window at the scenery outside of New York. Um, and they're all, oil, you know, he did other things, but oils were the best ones. They were so amazing. And it's it was interesting to see that exhibit that we heard about. We went specifically back to see this show. And as you're walking through the exhibit, they have so much of his earlier work and up to his very last years of work. And it dawned on me and how consistent he was, hmm. you know, through the years. Yeah. And what he determined what was that really interested him and what he wanted to paint, he discovered early on. He 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 knew he would when he walk around New York, he knew what was appealing to, to him about the emptiness of New York and the light and the man-made light and the and the natural light and the buildings and the mixing of things, the city life is what interested him. And he did that for his entire career. 
And that dawned on me in how um, artists are different that way. Because there are painters like, for instance, for lack of a better example, Picasso, who who dabbled in many different forms, you know, cubism and, you know, he, and, and realism. And he just went through this whole stretch of, of trying new things. But Hopper kind of just figured it out and that's what he was going to do. And he just did it for decades. But and, you wouldn't say that he did that to his detriment, like he didn't grow and change? Well, no, he did change, but he, but you could see the maturity of his work um, over the years and how he how he changed, you know, things about his work um, that but the themes of what interested him, his passion, you know, was the thing that I really noticed. There was another exhibit I went to in New York, in San Francisco when my wife and I lived there, <laughs> literally the guy, he was an artist. I'll never forget him, forget his name, but I'll never forget what he did. But his entire, he must have had a whole room full of nothing but drains. <laughs> what do you mean by like drains? He had, he had bathroom drains. <laughs> drain, oh, toilets. those kinds of drains. <laughs> yeah, he had just like, I mean, it was just like, and he had, he don't had, the art was down to making, you know, the borax box that goes on the shelf wow. of the toilet wow. that he would show the drains. And so it's like, I thought to myself, and, and I looked at his um, his information on the exhibit, and he'd been doing that for like a decade. Yeah. 10, 15 years of, and he waking up every day and just going, ah, oh, well, now I can do this drain. I got to do this drain this way. Mm, I could shade the drain, this one, this different thing. <laughs> it's like <laughs> drains, right? So that's how Edward Hopper was when, when he was painting, except he just didn't do it for 10, 15 years. He did it his, for his entire career. Yeah. And, um, seeing all of his work in one place, you really got an appreciation for how he really developed the technique of what he was passionate about, but his passion was very evident throughout. You know, we recently had a Amsterdam slash English uh, artist on twice, uh, David Haynes, and he is an amazing artist. And one of the nice parts of the conversation we had was around this topic. Um, and he was an advocate for sticking with something and fully exploring and fleshing it out. Now, what does that mean? That's unspecific fully, you know, that's up to the artist, right? To decide when it's done. Um, but that conversation, what I enjoyed and appreciated about hearing that from him is it's counter to what I get from the art program that I'm a part of, which is wanting you to move on really fast, yeah. you know, and I get that there's not one or it's not that one is right and one is wrong for sure. It's the person, which applies to you as an artist right. at that time and place. Get it. Um, I just have an, an impulse to stay with something right now. And, um, and it was nice to get that encouragement. And I thought it was interesting what you said about uh, Edward Hopper, too, because, you know, you said it didn't really change that much, but it's not like it became stale or uninteresting. That's right. And you also have to consider the source, you know, I'm not a painter. I appreciate art, but I'm not a painter. And so I'm not going to see the things that a painter, a technique that a, another painter might notice that Edward Hopper, but I am a meatball enough to be able to look at from beginning to end to see how the, how his arc was. Yeah. And um, they even had things in there that he had tried, you know, watercolors. He only did like, like five or six watercolors. Oh yeah. And, and yeah. then he, he, and it was always like one particular topic, like I forget what it was. It was an outside building type 
thing as well. But he he did it, and then he just went back to what he wanted to do. Yeah. You know, so he did try things. Well, that's like we talked to David Ains. He said, said, have you ever tried a more loose style, like a more abstract style or anything? He goes, oh, yeah, I tried it for sure. And it yeah. was terrible. And I went right back to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so there, and you, I think what you said is true is that there is no right or wrong. You know, it, it, it's all about what calls to you, I, I think, as an well, artist. And how what, is that? Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And, and, and what it is that you feel needs to be further delved into. What makes you happy? And how has that played its a part? And if we take this discussion and we put it onto like your musical career, which I'd also like to do with like Ron as a writer and as he's going forward, um, how has that looked for you? You've you're a few decades into your musical career. You have a huge, you know, uh, body of work. What what is the evolution and change look like? And the chances that you have or haven't taken? Well, that kind of goes into what you and I you know, we're messaging about, about, about an artist and how they mature yeah. and, and what changes for them and how, and how uh, time affects things. Time is the big thing that, that no one really wants to talk about because, you know, pop music and any sort of music that's commoditized now that's sold and people buy, it's all about what's happening now. Wow. This person did an Aretha remake. You know, and, and what that is, is that's basically what my wife and I call it. It's just a can of beans. They need a can of beans to sell. I need a fresh can of beans on the shelf to sell because they can't keep trotting out the old Aretha stuff because it's already out there and somebody already owns it. But we can't make money unless we find somebody that can remake, sing an Aretha song instead. And then we can repackage it. And all we have to do is pay a, a nominal fee to cover the song. That's what it is. And so... An artist. Um, By the way, well, I just have to interrupt you for a second. The best concert I've ever been to in my life was Aretha Franklin at the House of Blues in Las Vegas. Really? It. I was crying by the end of it until I kept right. goosebumps. I was like, "This is timeless music. Right. This is unbelievably good. Right. And she huh. destroyed wow. that place. Like, right. like <laughs> everyone, everyone That's left not... changed. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was incredible. Wow. Everyone left changed. Right. <laughs> And there are those artists that 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 transform you, you know, and there's not many of them, but they are there. And that's why everybody wants to cover Aretha. Yeah. And that's why everybody wants to cover Sinatra. And that's why everybody wants to do Bowie songs. And uh, and these artists are are the p things that people put up there that they want to do. But what happens is the people in the business understand that they no longer can touch those things because they're owned by somebody else. They're licensed by somebody else. They have, they, they can't monetize it as well as uh, if they were to find a very young artist that could cover the song and reintroduce it to a younger generation who sadly doesn't even know who Aretha Franklin is. Yeah. And so that it's a repackaging is what it is. And so as an artist, when you're young, you don't know any of that. You're, um, you're, you're basically kind of finding your own way. And if you're, if you're thrown into the, the business of music or I guess a commodity of your art of any kind, <clears throat> you feel like you're on your top of the world when everybody wants you. But really what, what, it, what you're doing is you're learning how that grinding business works and how fickle that business will be. 
And so what happens is as you grow older as an artist, you realize all that. You, you start to see kind of the man behind the curtain who's, and, and, and you start to see that you're not as in demand anymore, maybe, or that um, they can't make the money that they were needing to make from you. Or the industry changes, like the music business has changed. And you realize, where am I fitting into all this? And, and then what happens is whether you like it or not, at least for me, you're forced into this place where you have to start going, oh, okay, well, that's all of just a bunch of noise. What's really going to make me happy here? The, the art is yeah. what makes me happy. And, and so have you, yeah, have so you seen... my earlier recordings, you hear me, uh, in my opinion, you hear me singing to that end, to to wanting to set the world on fire, to getting attention already and wanting to um, wanting to conquer and wanting to be a household name and wanting to really just work your butt off on the road and and just do everything you have to do to be successful in the business. And then fast forward to where, to much older me, you realize that I'm much more skeptical. I'm much more jaded hmm. about how the business <laughs> works. And now it's really about what what am I going to feel like doing when I wake up every day? It does that going to be uh, doing sculptures of drains, or is it going to be painting, or is it going to be a song that I have when I woke up, which is when I write, usually in the morning when I write when I wake up. Um, and then not, and then everything else is secondary, whether I'm going to be able to sell it, whether I'm going to be able to, you know, make money off of it, whether my, whether it will please people, you know, all these things. And what you realize is that the real drive for you as an artist, as you get older is those are the satisfying things that, that make the most difference to you. The other stuff was just kind of temporary and stroking to make sure that everybody uh, to make sure that you felt like you were a player in that game that you really wanted to be successful at. And Johnny, and, had like it with anything else, the maturity is what is what brings that to to force. Have you found that? Well, first of all, have you created consistently through those two phases, or had you do? Is it like five times more songs per year at the earlier stages? It is now. Like, how consistent have you been? Well, it depends. Remember what you said about the, the art program that you're in, about how they want you to stick and move yeah. with different things, right? Yeah. When you're signed or when you're when you really have propulsion behind you, the artificial uh, things that happen during that process are the things that make you produce. Yeah. And like make you like uh, yeah. going on tour or something like that. Or a new record. Yeah. Um, my band was signed uh, to a label who was, a and, and as far as a baby band, which we were, they were, they treated us really well, but there was, they expected you to grind on the road. And I think Daniel mentioned in the bio that there was one year we did over 300 shows. I actually knew, knew one of your guitar players, AG. Oh, really? Yeah. AG Donaloya. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we have still the same. My, he's still my guitar player. Oh, good. We uh, yeah. we have the same barber. He actually helped oh, me yeah. barber. Right. <laughs> That's, That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, the reason John, I, I met him when I moved to Portland, actually. Did you? Our kids were friends. Our kids yeah, knew each other pretty well. I took his kids camping a few times. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> huh. And he was yeah, on the so, road a lot. To your point, yeah, oh, I remember that? Yeah, yeah, and and and. Those were tours that I really wanted to do, but I think Daniel was mentioning the earlier time and 
the the expectations that a record company has on a band when they first sign you is is monumental and you have to be out there selling whatever it is that they're paying for to, that you made and and at the time neo swing for lack of a better example was really on fire and mm -hmm. we were fitting right into that category uh that they could market there was all the all the balls of line up for them to market us that way and so to to market you, you have to go out and play for people and that's what lose product well the reason that i asked that question is because i was curious if these two different and distinct uh, impulses from from which your music is coming from in these two parts of your career. Has there been a different response from people about that music and how it hits them and touches them, makes them feel? Um, I would say as far as the meaning of the songs, no. However, I will say that as we talked about before, people really are very interested in what's happening now, hmm. uh, right now. And what was happening in my earlier career right now was a lot of uh, that material that I, that the band was creating to sell records. And so people were hearing it. And even if they weren't dancing to it, but they were buying it and listening to it on the way to work, which a lot of people told me they did to bring them uh, to work every day. Um, the meaning for those people is still uh, what I've noticed is is still important to them. However, when you when they are they're fans of that music and anything that I do now, but it's all tied to that basic feeling that they first felt when they heard the music for the first time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. as you get older, your fans get older too. A lot of them, like your mm -hmm. deep dish fans, get older as well, <laughs> right. yeah. and they're fans for life. And you can do no wrong. You make great. You make you know recordings, and they'll love. They'll eat it up, and they'll come see you on tour now because of the reflective nature of how it made them feel when they were younger and they want right. to do that again. They want to connect with you again. They have all these things. So again, time has a lot to do with a lot of that. Well, I, I, it's just such a cool, timely, um, timely moment for me to have this conversation um, and meaningful because I just finished a show. Yeah. Reference. Yeah. And it was, it's the hardest I've ever worked on anything. And I've, I've worked hard on some stuff and, you know, I was telling Ron and, you know, just to put in context, it was like a 90 hour week before the show opened, you know, and that was a slow burn buildup, 80 hour week, 76, you know, it's like, yeah. and it was just like, I put everything into this yeah. and it's the most clear expression of me as an artist. And I've, I've been a martial artist. I've been a writer. Um, I've been a dancer, I've been a musician, you know, not, not full careers, but like I put a lot into each one of those at various times in my life. I've expressed myself mm -hmm. through all those. And this is the most I've ever, most clearly I've ever been expressed where I could say, come into this room and see these 19 paintings. And it's like, I am, I'll stand behind everyone. Right. You, you, and, leave, you leave it on the stage. You left uh, it the was stage. left on the yeah. stage. Right. <laughs> and and that is the best feeling. Yeah. And then on top of that, because you do that, at least in this case, because I did that, boy, people responded. And so then you get that reward, you know, and then right. there's the financial because then people want to announce this right. is a great experience. Right. And then it's all and then it's all over. And it's <laughs> like, let's do that. Because that took creating that took me somewhere. I changed through that. I grew through that. 
and not to say I won't level out as an artist, like maybe some way that we're talking Edward Hopper have and that you have, but I'm, I'm in fast growth. I'm in the seventh year of being, uh, a absolutely. you know, so and that's, a, that's part of the, that's part of it. You have to, mm -hmm. you know, that that's all, you know, that's part of the growth of an artist is they, they need that propulsion when they're, when they're yeah. in there or they're, or they've just figured something out mm -hmm. and, and they, and they want to, explode they just can't get enough of it <laughs> excited about well exactly and so now i had a meeting with one of my mentors yesterday and i've been spending time with my reference pictures and my ideas and my artist statement and my subconscious you know that kind of dreamy place yeah. and and beyond okay this is gonna now i know what a full show i've done several right. shows but this one was this is the one that you want to rep out like that do what i just did and do it again not the same work but i mean the process right um and so i go okay hold on though i need to more carefully consider because this is going to take a lot out of me and i've got six months i'm going to open my the next show and want the same amount of pieces what's going to show up on the campus what is there and i was sat in front of my campus yesterday because we had scheduled time and i was just like I just like sketching a little bit. I had this idea and I said, I'm not going to start this. I need to relax a little bit. I need to process. I need to spend a little bit more time considering this. And I knew we were all going to talk today. And I just thought, I'm just, it's, I just wanted to share that the conversation that you wanted to have is the exact conversation I'm having with myself as an artist it, at a, at a key place between two big shows, you know, cause these are thematic, you know, the next one's going to be thematic. And I just excite like that, that maybe like doing another album, you know, 19 songs on an album is probably something similar, six months to do it. I don't know. It feels like a big amount of time and effort, but also it's coming It's six months and let's go. And it's just the, the excitement and the energy is, I was really looking forward to talking a little bit about well, it, bringing a little I, bit of that That's together. amazing. That's fantastic to hear that. I, I think the thing that you mentioned that really rings home with me is that um, you mentioned the benefit of how of your show that you just did and what you would learn from that. And you, but you said the very first thing that I think is most important is how gratifying it was for you as an artist. Totally. And then. To have, and then in addition to that, the icings, I call them, which are people really liked it. You know, maybe you made money, maybe you didn't, I don't know, it doesn't matter. But, and there's like other, there's other layers that get added to that. But the first part of that is the fact that you as an artist were gratified. And what happens is, is that you're sitting at the sketch pad now thinking about what you're going to do next because it's something that you want to do and you want to continue to be prolific and you want to make things in. But the problem is, is if you're when you're young and you're in the machines, you're you're in the grist machine. <laughs> you know, That's a great word. they're saying to you, <laughs> you know, you you contracted for another record. You contracted for another show. We have to have twenty more paintings from you by this date. You know, and if we don't, our you know, I mean, you've signed up for this. We have a contract. You have a binding contract. Yeah. So now you have to be this same artist the same creative person that you left everything on the stage with for your first album and now you have to get right back in and make yeah. another one because you're under contract now and that's what happens and that's why artists like their sought their first their breakout record is always amazing it's because yeah, of the material incredible. that they've had for years been <laughs> yeah, yeah. The tale is the all this time yeah the sophomore slump and and those are all like oh god what do we got left those are the songs you know because not only have you done the re the record is old, 
and it, they had a lot of time running up to it, but then they've had to go tour that record for a long time. Right. And they've sung and those no time same songs to, a gazillion times. Yeah. There's no time to, to, I mean, you're scratching stuff down on the back of a cereal box. On oh, your gig, yeah. you, know, you just don't have any time to germinate, nothing grow, you know, yeah. but you have to do it because you're under contract. And if you want to stay relevant and you want to continue to be, you know, you want to sell records. And I mean, or now downloads or whatever the hell they're selling music unit in now. <laughs> and, and so that's what happens. And so after, if you're not a, if you're an older artist, you don't put up with that shit anymore. <laughs> you're like, okay, you know, I understand what's going on now with the, with this business and you fit you mm -hmm. and you, and that's the benefit of time. So the best part of what you just told me, Daniel, is that you are actually driven by it. You're exactly. Actually, I was, I was going to say, yeah, it's like, cause that is what I'm up for, but that command is coming from me, not from someone right. else. And that, I, that's coming from me cause I'm ready. And that's right. the whole, that's the whole most important thing. If you had to yeah. sum it all up, that's the real important thing with being an artist is that control. You, you get to control what's happening with you and your art and your career. I mean, and the pressures that people have are, I need to make money. And um, or if you're not grounded or or if you or if you can't have relationships with people very easily, I need to make sure my fans are always there or I need to, you know, I need, you know, need, need, need. But the real benefit of, of having the drive be coming from you is that you get to control what happens to you in your art. Well, uh, one thing I think it'd be you get a kick out of just to get a little more specific and share a little bit. Um, uh so you have like, there was 19 pieces that I did and it was about over a seven month period. And so some of those ideas came seven months ago. Some of those ideas uh, crystallized in the 11th hour. That's really cool the way that happens, at least with Sound my process. more like the 11th, 11th hour in 59 minutes. <laughs> there was the last, the last day before the show, I painted 19 hours. Oh my and, God, Jesus. And it was the, and I stayed, and I was up at six o'clock in the morning of the day of the show putting the last strokes you, you on. had the duende and, you were you were like oh it was effortless it was wow. effortless i had a bottle of wine from my, my my family's vineyard so i was drinking my own dirt and i had the music playing i was listening to bad, Next bad album whiskey. title by the way for me what's that that's <laughs> solid yeah that's solid and 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 a few of those pieces that night you know came together the vision it just wasn't you know until that and then something happens but what one of the, the reasons I mentioned is because there's this one piece that happened during that where I just had this uh, crazy kind of idea to put this couple dressed very well, drinking a cocktail, um, smoking a cigarette uh, with one of those little like gangster light lamps on a small table. Mm -hmm. um, and then but put them in the woods, you know, so it's kind of there's a there's a strangeness to it, you know, and it's the same environment that all these other paintings uh, um, are taking place in well it was an experiment it went well i was really happy with the result but then it was the most popular one out of the whole show i mean one of the coolest parts about it, i'm just gonna like brag a little bit because this was so cool is at the reception uh, about 60 people came in every single piece was represented as someone's favorite during that night wow and that was Great. awesome to hear but that piece was one of the two or three that was just a cut above and you know what i want to take that as the stepping stone to the next series. And it's very interesting the way that works. I don't know if that happens with, with songs too, but you know, that little chance that I took and the success of that chance personally and outside of myself actually is opening a door of a choice to do, well, what if I 
build on that idea and make that idea more of a framework for a bunch more pieces. And that's when things get really exciting for me. And that also connects that last series to this series. I don't know how other other um, painters do this, uh, but I like that there's a thread of slow growth where one series looks similar to the last series, but it's also distinctly different and exploring that. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Right. There is no rhyme or reason to it, Daniel. Do you do that with music though? Mm. Like, do you have one song that would just went really well? Now let's explore that more through a whole album. Uh, well, you're talking about a concept album and I love concept albums. Oh, yes. And I, I think, um, yeah, concept albums that, that was, those were invented by Frank Sinatra in the late fifties. He did the Capitol. Whoa. The, I think the very first one was the, in the wee small hours Sinatra did. Does that just mean that there's a very strong theme? Yeah, those are all, that was a, and up to that point, it was all, you know, the album was kind of um, unblazed uh, trail for uh, oh. recording artists. They were all doing, you know, seven, you know, 78 singles, releasing singles and stuff. And gotcha. albums, oh, they, started to put, they started to put, oh. you know, songs on, on albums, but they could have been many different varieties of songs and they still do that. You know, artists still make right. records with many sure. different song, kinds of songs on them. But the concept album was the very first one that Sinatra did. It was all that We Small Hours was was all a song. <laughs> uh, so is the album. idea with a concept album that's that's essentially a, a, a collected piece of work or a collection of songs that together are their own thing? A mood. A mood. I mean, I, 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 I miss the days of of buying an album and sitting with it front yeah. to end you yeah, know that like it's cool like that doesn't exist anymore it, or, or that, I've, it? that i mean it's that i've put out i feel like i've i have not been excited for a record in a long time where yeah, where that's i true. get that's where true. i get in there and i like listen to the first track and by the by the end it kind of feels like a book where you know the end right. is coming and you're like yeah, and you right. don't want it to end right um, you and don't then, want it to end. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I'm with you. And I like I'm the guy that likes to look through the liner notes. Yeah, same. Well, records. Line, liner notes. What's that? Oh, the liner. And the, the liner notes yeah. of the yeah. album. And you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to. I'm looking for if it's an album I absolutely adore, and I and I'll listen to over and over and over again. I'll look for the little clues in the liner notes for what mm -hmm. the artists. You know, like I've even gone so far as. Um, They'll have the track listing. I'm talking about an album, not a CD, of course. They still put them on CDs, but it's harder. Uh, they have to condense a lot of that. But on the real record, when you're looking at it, you see, you know, all the song information. And then what I'll do is, if I really love the album, I'll listen to the songs. And if I hear something in one of the songs, a lyric, I'll try to go back to the little blurb that the artist wrote on the other page that said what they were, where they were when they made it or who, nice. yeah, who they were with. And I'll be looking for clues to see maybe who that song is about. You know? <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, yeah. I really get, I become a detective because <laughs> it's so powerful and meaningful to me that I want to dive so much deeper in that. And that's kind of what I think what you're saying, Ron, is you don't, you just can't get enough of it. You don't want it to end. Yeah. You can listen to a 10 more of the same thing. And I'm with you. As a matter of fact, before we were having this conversation, I was thinking, I think about this a lot because it's, it's the business that I've been in, but I think about how, uh, when I was a kid, 
how people would line up at the record store on Monday nights. <laughs> they would at, a, at a, you know, from anywhere from, from the sun going down till midnight, the lines would start to form outside the record stores. And then at 12.01 on Tuesday morning, they would open the doors and people would rush in and to get the new Yes album. <laughs> wow. And that kind of um, excitement and passion for music, and sadly, doesn't exist now. It's more, music is more of a, 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 a backdrop, a background, and it's used in other mediums like film and television. And well, games. I think you mentioned earlier the can of beans, the commodit commoditization. Right. It, it feels like a spoonful of sugar in a lot of ways. I, I my, you know, my kids are, are, I made a hard, hard, um, and not, and not, I don't have any regret about this, but I grew up just, just not liking categorically pop music. It was like, <laughs> like top 40 i'm out pop music i'm out and my wife loves pop music and it was one of the things that i'm just like i'm gonna agree to disagree and i love you anyway <laughs> and and uh my daughter is pretty into pop music she's she's uh 11 my son is into independent hip-hop like really into it and he has an etsy store that's associated with that culture and he's doing very well for a 16 year old kid Wow. And, and that world of the kind of pop and pop adjacent music feels like a bowl of cereal with the, 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 um, you know, the little pat, the, the prize at the end and, right. and it's, and it's, and it's sent out into the world through digital mediums faster than I can even like my mind can even get around. Right. And, and the way. I'm at the very end of Gen X and the way I under, you know, found out about music was reading Rolling Stone or spin magazine or something right. like that, or going to the record store and like putting on headphones and listening right. and like really considering like, am I going to spend $15 on this record? Right. <laughs> How and, much of these songs are fodder versus yeah. like really good quality songs on this record. And, and, yeah, that, no, no, like, and now we get in the car right. and my kids will turn, put, put a song on. And first of all, that's like a, that's a, that's something I just got to have to get on my old man's soapbox for a second. When I was a kid, I did not fucking ask my parents to like listen to the radio. Like it was their car. It was their radio. Like what, <laughs> whatever <laughs> but i'm you know trying to be a good dad I'm like in my kids are like can i play a song sure go ahead and for them to even listen to an entire song is i know rare. right yeah <laughs> and i give them a hard time like just listen yeah. to the damn song like right. cue up another song <laughs> right. you know there's a b section coming there's, there's a bridge that will take you so much far, far away and and then you can come back and sing again but the bridge has all this great stuff that you're gonna want to hear <laughs> <laughs> and they're already moving on to the next they're already moving on and but that i think that's a, a i mean it's a sign of our times and also kind of our, i think of our collective um attention span unfortunately well one of our other guests john silvestri a musician and a painter he's a uh, emphasizing music right now he's a musician out in florida gigs like great musician five times a, a day uh, five times a week it's crazy his life's crazy but um he did a painting one time and it's called musical ADD because <laughs> of that right there. Right. right there. That should be the cover of everyone's album. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. 
I, I'm, you know, and I'm with you, Ron, on, on all of that, and I agree. And I, I sometimes my wife just goes, "Oh, you're just old," and um, I am. I guess I am for this business. I am, and but I have to say that that um, the turn that it's taken is, uh, I think, is a waste in a lot of ways for for a lot of the things that we've already talked about about all the great tactical things you can get from a from a physical thing that you buy and put on so, and enjoy. So, so guys, is it primarily, let me just like try to understand what you're saying here. So is the idea that back in the nineties, eighties, I mean, all the uh, way early up, odds. Yeah. That, I remember buying could, records that we could uh, yeah. go to a place and buy a thing, whether that's an eight track, a tape, a CD, or, uh, uh, I guess that, or a record. Um, and that there's that music store experience and that now an album is released through a, um, Spotify and there's not even an under there's not even a thing that you don't even pay money for that thing you pay for the subscription that gets you available gets everything available is that the general idea of what's yeah. you wrong I mean I hate yeah. to say it but my, my yeah. I now spend my $15 a month on my Spotify account that gets me you know unlimited right. music and, and you just miss going and getting that thing in that music store interaction. I, I, I miss the intimacy of you know, Spotify doesn't have the liner notes. I don't get to understand, like Johnny was mentioning earlier, like I want to know that nitty gritty stuff. I want to know what was going on. Why did they write this record? What, what's happening? And, and thankfully we have some things like this where we can maybe go listen to a podcast where, well, yeah, you can listen to that artist for three hours on a podcast and know a hell of a lot more than the liner notes. It's not the same though, Daniel. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. I'm not I mean the, I mean the liner notes were also their own piece of artwork, right? Like there would there was yeah. like the you know, the right. actual yeah. yeah, you know, the cover of the album. And right. how does that play into this whole thing? And right. it was a puzzle. It was this little like treasure. I feel you. There. The excitement of that C D and what's coming next and the putting it in and the buying. I, I'm not I do understand that. I'm just I was just making sure I understood what we were talking it, about. It, what, what's happened is that um, it, it's so it's it's become such a commodity now that people don't even want to see the album art. They're not interested in that. They want and they only want songs that they uh, if they do download anything, they only want the songs that they heard somewhere else that they know they're going to like and not waste a dollar. Yeah, on. I can yeah. see that. I can and see if, that. So that's why if you listen to, if you, if you hear a song, like this happens to me sometimes, I'll hear a song, <clears throat> I'll, I'll, I'll uh, Shazam it to mm -hmm. get it. Or I'll, if I can't Shazam it, I'll try to get it from the chorus, what the name of the song is. And if I knew what the artist is, I'll try to make a note of that on my phone and I'll get home and I'll try to find it on YouTube just to yeah. see if I was hearing the same song. Yeah. And it usually is. And then I'll scroll down to some of the comments on the video and nine times out of 10, it'll be uh, such and such show brought me here. Oh, right. Yeah. TV show. Yeah. Oh, it's some show I heard the, the, yeah. the song on and it was during the climactic uh, season yeah. finale with the guy <laughs> uh, driving off into the sunset or whatever. Yeah. And, and they'll say, I love this suspect body. And literally it'll be that way for like scrolling. You'll just see that yeah. over and over again. Huh. That's where people are getting it. They're not, yeah. they're not saying, they're not getting it. I mean, they have to get it from somewhere. And in my day it was, sure. the, it was radio and, and, and uh, maybe a film, but mostly radio and they have to get it from somewhere, but you be, you got the, you were singing along with it and you had to have it. And then you go to the store and you'd buy it. Yeah. What happens now is you just kind of, 
you, you subscribe to an account and they <clears throat> handle it into different, you know, the Willie station where it's all yeah. Willie Nelson songs yeah, yeah. or all artists covering Willie Nelson songs. Yeah. And so, you know, you're going to like it. And so you, you bought, you keep your subscription because you like Willie Nelson. You want to hear all the Willie Nelson stuff and everybody else doing Willie Nelson, nothing but Willie Nelson all the time, 24 seven. That's what you want to do. <laughs> pay for. And that equation that's happening now with how people consume music is night and day compared to how Ron and I are talking about. But the flip side of this coin is, is, there's whole audiences that would have never heard this stuff before uh, unless true. they had, you know, watched this movie. But my father-in-law wasn't, was a musician. He got to open up for the beach boys in the sixties in Eugene. And, <laughs> Did he really? Yeah. Buzz? It was awesome. He had a, he had a psychedelic band in the sixties and then, <laughs> and then had a um, kind of a, a, you know, I, I wouldn't, it was just a seventies rock band. I mean, very, a couple, a couple months ago, yeah. I looked him up and listened to some of his songs. Oh, it's on Spotify now. Morgan put it yeah, up for him. That's yeah. my, that's my wife. She did. Yeah. Did but, but because, of, but because of that, he got uh, to license one of his songs for a TV right. show episode a while back. And then that hmm. kind of opened him up to something else. And now as an artist, like he is with you, like there's this, interesting handshaking between his creative career and the, of the past and, and what's happening now. Yeah. I mean, he literally dropped out of art school so he could be a rock star and he did, yeah. you know, he toured for a long time and had a residency down in Southern California for a long time and, <laughs> and enjoyed the hell out of it. You know, he had a great fucking time doing that, yeah, doing that thing. And I love that for his sake, because I love him and, and admire him a lot, like that there's an acknowledgement of a, a part of his past that, you know, most of us just wouldn't have access to at all. And that, that is true. Yeah. And that's the time element of it. Yeah. But yeah, honestly, <clears throat> something can, you know, something could be absolutely horrible in the moment, but all you have to do is add 50 years, 30, 40 years yeah. to it. And all of a sudden it becomes cherished and, <laughs> and, and you're a national treasure. Well, you know, a good, a good example of that is, uh, you know, uh, Tears for Fears, uh, Everyone Wants to Rule the World. When I, I was pretty young when I fell in love with that song, my sister's 10 years older than me. So I, I was like really into early eighties, new wave stuff. Yeah, and that was my decade, Ron. Thank you. And, um, and I remember my friends thought I was just a fucking dickhead for liking that music <laughs> and I loved it. And for some reason it's just become extremely popular again because of, I think there's a nostalgia mm. kind of going there through is. social media. Right. And, and and they're looking for the songs and the sounds of their childhood and all those things. And it's like, well, also, also, like I lived with a musician for a couple of years there on, on Thurman and 34th. Uh, my friend group still lives in, in that house. And uh, it was a really special place. We had instruments everywhere and we all played music, but there was one who was a musician and he would listen to a new album every morning, called it his meat and potatoes. You know, it's wow, just him that's awesome. repping it out, you'd find an album and it, yeah. it would be from any time period, you know? Right. And I really admired the way he brought stuff in and he would bring uh, an out album could be yeah. um, like he went, um, oh, who's that really mean uh, jazz singer, African-American jazz singer woman who was like notoriously just, just like really awful. Uh, I can't remember her name, but anyway. Was she the one that cussed? Like she, was she the one that was like, there was like an X-rated jazz singer. <laughs> yeah, from no, the I don't think it was, it, was on, it was more wow. behind the scenes. It was behind yeah. the scenes, but super famous. You, you know, huh. anyways, long story short, he just 
deep dived into her for a long time. And what I started to realize, and this guy was in his early 20s, and what I started to realize was, oh, you know, right now is the most amazing time. And I understand you're, Johnny, you're coming from a much more specific and experienced uh, place in, 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 the, in this uh, world of, of music. But my take has been, there is so much genuine love by people in their 20s, musicians coming up and younger, of every single fucking music type of music that was played at every single type of time in the world from 5,000 years ago to 20 years ago. And the youth are just, they're absorbing it and they're recreating it and they're creating from it. And that's the perspective that I've had. I think it's the best time in the world to be interested in music. And I know everything you all are saying is also true for sure. I get that. But there's this also, also this, there's this thing that's going on right now where you get these people revitalizing other genres of music from the past and pumping them full of energy and and continuing the story as opposed to being like, this is the 70s, it belongs in the 70s, and right. that's where it's at. Right. Now the story is continuing through these right. new yeah. people musicians. Well, what I would say about that is I agree and that there that needs to happen. But the difference, I think, what I'm talking about is like, you know, we talked about Sinatra uh, in, in the late 50s making those concept albums. Um, that was pop music then. That was considered popular music. Yeah, it was, right. a pop art, was a pop artist. Yeah. The, the difference was, in my opinion, was the songwriting. There was craft in the songwriting. And that ended in the late 80s when Madonna took over, kind of. It became all about the iconic artist instead of the actual craft of writing songs. And when you talk about how people will take the music now from every from any year and any yeah. genre, that that's a natural occurrence that has to happen because right. everything has already been done now. There's not going to be another Jobin that's going to that's going to invent music, a music style. That's not going to happen. It has to go somewhere. So what will happen is they take, you know, derivative is a bad word, I think. Uh, limiting but so I won't say that except they're taking they're taking things that already exist and twisting them and making them new again by using what has already been done and that's in my opinion is the difference of what's happened with with music it it has to go somewhere yeah it can't stay in the same place forever and ever these decades of music that we're talking about but um it also is a, a certain open-mindedness that has to happen uh, in, in art and in music everywhere. And I think that's what's happening now. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, I, you know, I want things to continue to develop. I'm more or less talking about how art, how art and music is regarded in our culture now, where, um, where 30, you get 30 seconds of something and that's even too much for people now. I guess maybe maybe another thing. This is a cool exploration of this of this topic, by the way. Uh, it's really neat to have someone who has so much experience and such an intimate view. Thank in you, Daniel. Really appreciate and, and that. Opinion. <laughs> <Wrong>. <laughs> <laughs> and not and not very. It's also nice to have you here, Johnny. <laughs> but I I wonder if that's if if that statement you just made is focusing on the the mass the masses and I don't think I spend a lot of time with the masses you know I spend a lot of time with people who are are like the the 
people who are on the grassroots that if you spoke to them for 10 minutes, you go, you would go, this person gets it, you know, like Leon Bridges, for example, that guy is doing this like new soul, deeply bluesy soul. And I just like, he seems like he cares so much about songwriting, you know, and I don't know if that's true. I don't know these artists, you know, um, or Jacob Collier, like that guy's a genius. You know? Charlie like, Crockett's another name that comes to mind. But, oh yeah. yeah. You know, and I'm just like, man, I feel like these people would agree with everything you're saying, you know, and, and, but the masses, yeah. yeah I would say, you know, I would say the, the things that you identify in those artists and the reason that you like them is probably an authentic genuality about them. Yeah. And, that, and I agreed. And you hear that coming through in the content and quality of their songs. And I would argue yeah. maybe that have craft in the songs. Johnny, yeah, have you watched would be... have, have you watched that documentary about um all of the pop music writers coming out of Sweden? No, I haven't. <laughs> so so Sweden has like the most hits of any songwriters. Like the, like they d d dominate uh the the top hits like as, as songwriters wow. the swedish the, top hits are like yeah world... so where abba comes from like sure. including one of their their members like they have a songwriting factory they've basically the it's been sure. there since the 70s oh. and and they will write songs specifically for our top you know pop stars all over the world yeah and and what they said was like we know what we're making like we know we're making stuff that's for the masses we know we get it but we also are making fuck tons of money doing so. <laughs> and, <laughs> it is a business. And, 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 but like, they don't brag about it. They're not like, they're not there to say we're the best. They're not there to say they're, it's really understated. They, lame. <laughs> they had to, basically someone had to go make a film to, to out them. I mean, I, no I love idea. that you didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was on Netflix for a while. I'm not sure if it was still there, but it was totally fascinating to see these do you know, people. Do you know the name of it? What's the name of the film? I'll look it up while you guys are talking. And, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it was so fascinating. Because in I'll, one I'll sense, one sense, I thought, I hate these bastards for making this music. That's just you know, bullshit, um, uh, cotton candy, right? Like it just disintegrates immediately. Right. On the other hand, when you know you're doing it and you're capable of doing it, and you're and you have almost in itself that you're own profundity like i, I kind of started to respect their game i did actually right. i was like oh they're fucking they have right. this they have a craft around this and craft is what craft. It, 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 yeah. so it, it's like it's one of those things like if you know the rules then you can break the rules yeah so yeah. if you're grounded enough to know what's what what you can do you know from as a crafted writer then you can kind of stretch if you need to but still come back to the craft without feeling like you bastardized yourself yeah you know to, because you have a mortgage and, and yeah, you have exactly <laughs> yeah. and don't get me wrong people that know how to do that have my highest respect and also because, they're having a good time like they're right. not yeah they're enjoying right. they're, it's not painful a good yeah. you know a good i've always said it a good example of someone like that who who makes things is steve martin yeah and that you've got a, a guy example. here steve martin who can do many to many different things uh, musician, comedian, writer, yeah. producer, everything. But I remember there was a number of years where uh, I remember he made a film called Shop Girl. It was a great film. I loved it. Great it was, film. He, he wrote a short story. It was a short yeah, story. He wrote, he wrote first. It was like a book, I think. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, 
and he made the thing. And I said to myself, uh, this is a, he did a great thing here. How does Steve Martin convince a studio to make this arty, you know, flick? And at the time, I think Claire Danes was in it. She was not real well known. Yeah. And it was but, like a little bit um, controversial because they have a love affair. And she's right. like a, quite a young woman right. in the film. And he's an older guy. And they're, right. she's it poor in these, LA. Yeah. yeah it had all great. these things that no one would touch with a 10 foot pole unless it, they were assured it was going to make, you know, gazillions of dollars now. But then it dawned on me that this is why Steve Martin is making Cheaper by the Dozen Three. <laughs> right. So he, yeah. he he has agreements in place with studios to make cheaper by the dozen three and the Pink Panther two, you know, yeah. just these films. And what he does is he knows how to he does those things and he comes back to make the things that he really wants to make. Those things fund him, fund his projects yeah. and his other life. Yeah. Did you see? And, then, and, he, and, he, and he's an avid. I heard he's an avid art collector. He buys, you know, he he, he buys art with the money. He makes one of those things. You know, another guy that did that and maybe probably used to, uh, doesn't need to anymore was Clint Eastwood. I heard that story about Clint Eastwood. Um, did not like the Dirty Harry franchise. Mm -hmm. He made the first Dirty Harry movie and mm -hmm. it was a huge success because there was a gun in it. And the gun was one of the characters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, and so they came back to me and said, we want to make, you know, we want to make two, we want two, and maybe two, three, four would do a whole package thing whenever he was like, hell no, there's no way in hell I'm doing this. And somehow he got smart and he did those films, but he also turned around and made Bridges of Madison County. Yeah. He directed it, starred and directed in that. A film that no studio was ever going to get behind Clint Eastwood, you know, making a film like that. But Clint Eastwood figured out that if he made the, horrible dirty hair movies that he did not want to do. He could do what he really wanted to do. So those are like just an understanding of how the business works. Yeah. And once you, I mean, and again, those two guys are not young guys. They've, they've, they've seen through their years, how the business works and how the, how one hand washes the other and how you can get what you want, but you have to do this, but how are you going to make sure this doesn't stick to you so bad that you can still do this? Yeah. So it's like, a, it's a real, you have to be a business person in addition to being an artist and some, and a creator. I think. 100%. So Ron, some people can't do that. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Ron. Uh, let's say, so Ron, Ron's a writer. He writes uh, like neo-Western. Did you say that's correct? Wow. You call it awesome. That. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like in, but in the way like Cormac McCarthy would like not, <laughs> not, not, not that it would be really good. Like Cormac, McCarthy, <laughs> but the, the tone would be something similar. It's uh, gritty. The style. Gritty. Uh, so let's say Ron, the book that you're writing right now, Midland, that it became popular and that a publisher asked you to do two more same type whether it's a sequel or not, they're really similar. But you had that out of your system as an artist and as a human, and you didn't want to. I, how would you handle that? Hmm. I would, God, I, I won't pretend to be uh, principled with this. If it was a big enough check and everything, I would, I would certainly be tempted. And, mm -hmm. and the fun of it, you know, but, to, but also knowing, I know how I get when, I, when I'm forced to do something. I get quite resentful and pissy. And, and 
it would be a challenge. I would have to really think about it. But it, it would, it would, a lot would be at, at play. Like, yeah, what would the relationship be like with the the publishing house, and yeah. what are their demands, and what's the timeline, and and um, all, all kinds of things like that. That's a good question. Because time out on the question real quick. The the name of the show, oh Johnny, is it's a series on Netflix called This Is Pop. Okay. And the episode was called Stockholm Syndrome, which I think is a great name for an episode. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to find that. Yeah. This is Pop, so Stockholm great. Syndrome. Now, I, lo yeah. I looked it up too and I got confused. There was another one that showed up. It's called Playlist. Are you sure? You sure that it's the Stockholm Syndrome? Maybe that's just an episode, Daniel, of that series. Yeah. Show. No, this is, this is the series. This is, the, okay, this cool. is the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, and by the way, now that we're referencing things, Nina Simone was the sure. person oh, who, oh, yeah. who was uh, apparently. Oh, like, civil, yeah. There, she was a civil rights <laughs> activist. Yeah. Um, she did not put up with any shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, excuse me. Yeah, my friend, that young musician went on a Nina Simone kick where his meat and potatoes was a Nina Simone album for like two weeks. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that. The, I get, I think the conflict that is interesting and Johnny, before you jumped on, we were speaking a little bit to this because it seemed like you, you've you arrived at um, crossroads in your creative career where you have bucked the system of what was demanded of you. And I think that's an interesting um, conflict and moment to test a human's mettle and their integrity, you know, and also brings up a lot of fear and desire dangling the carrot do you do that or do you not and i don't think i've ever really been in a position like that but i i imagine some of those choices are coming up in my career i feel like my career is going really well and if i i know that there are types of ways that i've painted that i do not want to paint again i have fully and thoroughly moved on from that i don't i don't even like the art you know hmm. and so if i was required to make art that I did not like and that I had moved on and represented a past and a uh, a um, a time in in my a chapter in my life that I've already moved on from, that would be fucking brutal. It'd be soulless. So if someone came to you and was like, "Yeah, I, I see Ron's going to turn this I, around." <laughs> I, I, I want. I see an art gallery up and down the coast of every beautiful beach town on the west coast <laughs> oh, I'm like puke in my mouth a little bit but they wanted this certain style they wanted this totally like over. it's like the steve wyland you know like the whales on the or, or uh no, no, what's no. the other guy that was so popular in the 90s like the light came out of the painting what was it Kirk? oh kincaid kincaid yeah like those those yeah, yeah. so you're Died saying alcoholism probably because of that <laughs> <laughs> that's so fucked up and probably true <laughs> you know what i'm saying i couldn't do it dude. are you saying you had to drink to get to this <laughs> <laughs> he had to pickle himself uh, to to the poor guy. <laughs> exactly yeah yeah so, so you would say no you would say no biggest, the next biggest thing is going to be I know it's been done, but I think you have really have a gift for this. The Howling uh, Albuquerque Coyote. Uh, <laughs> I really, I think there's going to be a second coming. For I've got a tattoo <laughs> of that. It's one of my favorite <laughs> icons ever. <laughs> I mean, I'm from, John, I don't know if you know this. I'm really from pastel, really pastel-y color. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm yeah. from New Mexico. That's where I grew up. And, oh, there you go. And uh, 
all, those of us who live there are just like, <laughs> like, <you're> like, <laughs> like, how does this thing still exist? How do we get rid of it? <laughs> Let it in for the love. <laughs> uh, yeah, imagine if that you had to do that and you were under the thumb of yeah. someone. You know, that's well, you know, I, I, I have to say, in in my career, I have had that pressure to do yeah. that. Well, that's sure, I'm sure. You did. And how did you handle that? I did it, and and it took its toll in in many ways. It first of all, I think that the the album that I made under that pressure was the weakest of everything I've ever done, hmm. and I think that um, the uh, it took its toll on the people that made it, the band, my bandmates, and having to be under that pressure to make that and then go out and, and tour and sell it. And, um, but again, you know, I wasn't 18. I mean, I was, I think, you know, maybe 30 when I was signed and I did that. I came to the, I, by today's standards, extremely uh, dated. But can you imagine being 18 or like Ron's son's age and being handed that kind of the keys to the kingdom, you know, trying to navigate through the, the business of music, you know, and contracts and everything else and having to come up with uh inspired um real authentic content that reached into people's reality and who they want you know what they wanted can you imagine trying to do all that at such a young age it's horrible and this is why there's so many young artists that you see just are flash they're like a fizzle they, they make it and then they go and the business preys on that kind of uh um fickleness yeah, they, they don't really care what happens to a young artist after after they've chewed them up and they've gotten what they need. And and then you read stories, horrible stories almost every day about young people who thought they were, um, you know, who's king of the world and they realized they weren't. And then what happens to them now? You know, my, this reminds me of something my dad said to me once. And um, there was a famous artist who I won't name, but. You know, he was a, he's an older guy. He was writing hit songs in the 70s and 80s of the decades we're talking about. And um, in the, it was like 10 years ago, my father said this to me. He goes, uh, this guy uh, wrapped his car around a telephone pole. Was You know, he was drunk. <clears throat> and has just made gazillions of dollars in his trade and sold millions and millions and millions of albums records recordings worldwide married four or five times and wrapped his car around a telephone pole and my dad said what is wrong with this guy he's 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 look at everything he's accomplished all the records he's made and he's still doing this what what is what's going on and i told my dad i think what my dad was saying is please if you're going to be in this business don't wrap your car on a telephone pole. <laughs> he was worried about that. Oh, yeah. This guy, he could go to Las Vegas and open up a room in Las Vegas. He could play whenever he wanted to play. It would be packed every night with people falling all over themselves to, to hear him and to sing, to hear him sing and hear his songs and everything else. Why doesn't he just do that and love his life and live in the moment and, and just enjoy everything he's built and, I just don't understand why somebody would pollute themselves and get and then just go almost kill themselves. I don't understand any of that. And I, I tried to tell my dad was that this particular artist 
doesn't have grounding in his life. He he doesn't believe that, or he's incapable of having uh, an intimate relationship with people who love him or that he cares about. And so he's adrift. And the problem is with many artists is that they're adrift, but they're brilliant. So here's this guy's made it all of these years for better or worse, his talent and his, un and his, uh, and his understanding of how the business works has kept him afloat all this time. But from what I can tell, he's very unhappy as an artist. And, and, um, and that's a shame too. So you have, there are many different pitfalls in the music in business. And, and I, I think that young people get chewed up and old people never find their place. Nobody cares whether you're grounded. They just want, they want to sell units. They need to make their money. They need to, they need to pay off on their investment. You know, they need to, they love the discovery process, but then they want you to kind of do what you need to do to sell records. And I think to your point also, the, these brilliant, but ungrounded artists, when you're brilliant and you have a high level of awareness of your reality and the pain of that reality, but an inability to deal with that pain, you know, you go to what, what works right over and over right there there is there is i've heard somebody say that there is great art there must be pain to make great art mm -hmm. for some reason the happy artists the happy people who have it all they don't make you know from someone would argue that they don't make real gut-wrenching life-changing inspired art because uh, they're not feeling the angst that pain brings and that and the and and the relief that art will bring to pain if you're like for instance Dan if you're a painter and you're and you're happy and and you got everything that you'd ever wanted in your life and there's an argument to say that you're not going to paint with the same passion uh, like everything's writing on it uh, that you still not deep enough with what you're doing, um, that you want to really move mountains with what you're doing. You're not going to paint that same kind of passion as someone who is worried, like Van Gogh, who is who is mentally so I just thought of ill, cut his own ear, <clears throat> you know, just really sad. But look at what he made, he painted. Well, I mean, Ron. Ron and I talk about, we've spoken quite a bit about, I'm oh, sorry to cut you off, Tommy. No, that's, that's exactly um, it. Ron uh, and I, we've focused on this one story of my past that's pretty intense and that has probably been, probably created me into a person who runs hot, runs fast, runs extreme, uh, is all or nothing, live or die. And as time has gone, uh, that the part of my personality is, been supported by learning how to take care of myself, but that those engines are still running. And those engines are what, as a, you know, distance runner in college, drove me into some tough spots physically and, and emotionally. And now it, through painting, those engines can run. And as I know now I can push and, and we were talking with another artist, Eddie Cola, and he was, he was saying in our conversation, Daniel, I think you could be obsessed again. 
you sound like you could probably lean into that. And I said, you know, I've been afraid to do that. I kind of broke my heart with this one love way earlier in my life and running. And he goes, I don't know, man, I don't know you, but it sounds like you could probably do that. And I remembered that kind of echoed. And when I was prepping for this show, I was like, you know, it was a four o'clock morning and then there was a five o'clock morning. And then I put in like a 13 hour day and I was like, I'm still feeding myself, still like taking care of my body. And I like, I was like, oh, I can, I think I can be a little crazy, you know, and I'll be okay. <laughs> I'm not going to burn my <laughs> life down, you know? And, and it, it sounds a little bit like that because the engines that were created, they were created from trauma and hardship and pain and, and, and the world is crumbling at a very young age. Mm -hmm. And so it feels good to be able to be okay with that. I'll also not be whacking my ear off, you know, mm -hmm. I, right. I, there's some balance there. <laughs> right. Okay. You know, I, I don't know the answer. I think it's like you said, I think it's everyone's own battle. Yeah. If you're an artist. But I can tell you that, again, because I'm not opinionated at all, <laughs> the, the business of music does not help. Hmm. <laughs> does that, does that squeeze out the, does that business squeeze out the inherent creativity and love that you have for music? Or, or are you able to like wake up in the morning, go about your day, and then, and then you, you get the download yeah, of a song or, or exactly. something like that? I have, I have um, <clears throat> more control over it now. And um, I, I can tell you that if I had the opportunity to sign, there's no more, record companies don't really exist anymore. There's like three major ones that hold everything. But if I was given that same opportunity, I would probably wouldn't do it. Oh, wow. I wouldn't give up the control. Yeah. Of, um, and I had it pretty, pretty good for the deal that I did sign at, way back when. But I would ask a lot more questions. Now yeah. Yeah. Right. And I, then I and, and trust a lot less than I did then. Yeah. But no, the answer to your question, Ron, is no. And, and, and uh, one of the reasons why is that, um, I had to learn how to let uh, the things that were so demanding on me from a monetizing standpoint and what other people needed from me, I had to be able to let those things go and <clears throat> it was really going to matter to me. That's how we started this whole conversation was the art and the things that I'm creating are the things that are the most important. The rest of it is icing that you can hopefully get. But if you don't get it, you're still going to be... yeah what you're doing that's why i said when i was done with that show my pops came in we were chatting a little bit and i said dad if someone told me put a gun to my head six months ago and they said do the you do the best art show you possibly can that the show that showed up that day would have looked the exact same as what it did you know well, there you go and yes. so you show up that day and I was sitting and I installed the same the same day, which is which is sketchy because that was coming down to the last second. And I stood in there by myself. Everything was hung. And I and I said, I just got paid in full. I'm being paid mm. in full right now. That's amazing. Good feeling, isn't it? You know that. Yeah. And right. now let's go see what icings there are. Right. The cake is fucking awesome, right. you know? And that's all. And, and you love the cake. Mm. Exactly. Already. Yeah, and the people that you vet, whose opinion you really value, who you love, love it, and will tell you the truth if they didn't, or tell you what you could probably do better next time, or be really good liars. Yeah. Hey, I think you're absolutely right. You know, I heard an interview with David Bowie speaking to that, 
was um, kind of the variety thing that you were talking about earlier. And it was not a very, uh, it was something I think I subscribed to on Instagram where they just put little clips of inspired things that really good people at what they do. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, the clip that I saw was David Bowie and he was being interviewed. And I think the question was, you know, uh, I forget what it was, but he basically said, um, being an art, being a musician is just a, a, a small piece of what I do as an artist. Mm. Music is something is just an extension of what I, of who I am as a total artist. He said, I don't wake, I don't wake up. I don't have a huge record collection. I don't have a lot of, you know, uh, uh, really uh, prolific musical friends that I hang out with and write all the time with. The music part of it is just part of who I am as a holistic, as a as a oh, general overall creative person. And he, if you think about David Bowie, you you do think about it. You, he's a fashion icon. He was an actor. actor. He was a director, I think. He made his own videos. He was a, and he was an artist that made music as well. So yeah. it was like this big funnel, but this one little thing was the music, and that's what everybody seems to know about him. Yeah. A lot of it, but but that really struck struck me because. What happens is in 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 the entertainment world and music and and anything that can make money, they they need to pigeonhole you a certain way so they can so people can compartmentalize it enough to buy it and move on. And so what happens is when you go into Tower Records, Ron will probably know this. Go into Tower Records, they'll have a vocal section, they'll have a jazz section, they'll have an R and B section, they'll have a rock section, they'll have classical section. And you know whatever other sections that they have there, and your record that you made is going to go in this section, <laughs> and you're going to go in there, and you're going to find, huh? I know this artist, but he's kind of this, he's kind of that kind. Of, I'll try R and B. No, not there. Well, I wonder if he's over here. I'll go over here. They won't put it in by alphabetical thing with everybody. They put they need to put it into sections so people can find it, buy it, consume it, and move on and come back and buy the next one. That's what it is. And so, but the problem is, is that artists don't, they're not wired that way. Yeah. They're not wired to be, David Boyd doesn't go, I'm just going to do glam rock. Is there a glam rock section? That's where you could put, <laughs> he's not thinking, he's thinking I'm David Boyd. I've got a million different things that I can contribute to creatively to what I'm doing. And Power Records wants to put me in this one little section, but I'm not going to let him do that. Yeah. And that's where, as, if you, as you become an older artist, you realize that you say, fuck those guys. Yeah. I'm do what I want. <laughs> and I'm going to be in any mini section I want to be in at any given time and try to figure out how I can be uh, successful and still retain kind of that uh, uniqueness of that who I want to be as an artist. And that's the difference. Coincidentally, his uh, his last album is one of the is one of those albums that I love. Oh, Dark Star from right Black Star, I think. Yeah, Black Star from from beginning to end because it's an album where he knows he's dying. He knows this is it, and this is his like a right. letter to the world. And the and the music videos that go along with it. Yeah, I've seen those. Oh, holy shit, they're incredible. Yeah. Hey, uh, Johnny, just as we're wrapping up here, um, I've got four like really short answer questions to hit you with. Uh, one is, um, and they're just more just about your music. So Ruby May, uh, that song, I listened to it and I was like, this guy's just showing off at this stage. Like you, the <laughs> things that you do with your voice, I just never heard. Now, I'm curious about that. And um, I'm curious about that, that song and Bad Bad Whiskey are either 
are those songs your originals? Ruby Mays. It is. Bad Whiskey was, um, uh, that was, uh, that's an old uh, blues song. It'll, it'll come to me. Cool. We did that. Well, I was, as, as you're thinking, um, my other questions, again, they're just kind of like peppery questions, but um, can we play Ruby May as an outro or an intro to this episode? Is that, is there a problem with that? Uh, no problem if there is. I just don't know the technicalities. The problem is, is that I don't own the uh, publishing for that. Completely. Okay. That's all right. I was but curious. I, I think maybe what you should do is uh i think it's one of those things where you just do it you yeah. got a little smile on your face i, think, I, was like, I, think, <laughs> I think we can then, uh do it and then ask permission later yeah, yeah right there you go that's that's, <laughs> that's what you did that's what i've been doing <laughs> um and then uh my last question was uh can i send you my work that i just did do you mind if i text you i would love to see that i would love to see and i really appreciate how much when you said you were going to new york it sounded like a big reason was for the art and, then, you, and then we were we were joking before and you said it's one of your favorite mid-century painters yeah and like just that statement pre assumes uh that you have other favorite oh, yeah. mid-century painters yeah, like... yeah, please do okay cool thank you yeah you know museums are the thing when i'm stuck i go to a museum if i if i if oh. i have something i'm working on that i, that I just can't realize mm. i will uh, I'll go to a museum just for an hour or so and walk around yeah. and I'll come, huh. and I'll be rejuvenated and I'll have a whole other way of looking at what I'm doing. It's really quite uh, amazing. Once I went, we were in New York and we went to the uh, Museum of Modern Art, my wife and I, and then um, she's an art fan too. And then we left the museum and she wanted to go buy uh uh, shoes at Bloomingbirds, wherever where those stores are in New York. And we went in there and I followed her around the women's department as she was looking at stuff and scribbled lyrics to a song I wrote called Last Word In. Hmm. I wrote it, I wrote almost the entire thing in that store because I was pulling everything I'd just seen in the museum with me. That's awesome. That's amazing. Well, and that's what I wanted to ask my last little like question was what's what what song or songs are you most proud of of yours? Like this is the one. These are the ones. Well, I think if you evaluate how I'm singing, I hear the youth in my voice in my earlier recordings. Hmm. But I still haven't figured out how to sing by then at that point. Hmm. Much vibrato for me now, maybe. But it was a youthful voice, so that's what you know. I want to. I want to be youthful. You like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of what I am gravitated to. Mm. Why I appreciate those. But the later songs are much more long in the tooth and seasoned, and uh, they seem like they have more wisdom in the way that I deliver them. The lyrics. Um, so it's kind of a mixed answer, I think. Okay. The the my favorite album. And going back to the ones that really sell, you know, well, or, and then there's the ones that, that um, artists are most proud of. And that's the situation with my favorite record. I made a record, I want to say, maybe five years ago, I can't remember, but it's called Someday Dreams of You. And it's a Great American Songbook uh, album. Uh, and Great American Songbooks are the Sinatra songs from mid-century. And um, 
the thing I'm proud about that album was is that uh, half of the songs are from the Great American Songbook, but the other half are songs that I wrote in the style of Great American Songbook songs. Yeah. And so that is my favorite album I've ever made, but they're very soft and quiet songs. And what's the album one more time? It was called Someday Dreams of You. And uh, I made it here in Portland with my Portland band. And it has, you know, it has strings on it and it's just my favorite album, but it's much different from my earlier, yeah, my earlier kind of uh, neo-swing uh, song. But like like you said, you know, you like the you like certain varieties. You've had a lot of different varieties in your life about of art, and I know Ron uh, mentioned that he appreciates different varieties and artists that he listens to. But I the last album I made during I released a, an EP during the pandemic called Jump with Johnny, and it's it's a throwback to my earlier <laughs> learning how to you know sing and perform. Yeah. So you always. It's, we will end maybe where we started where with with that artist is is you you kind of have a direction and you try things as you go along but your direction if you look at the arc of it is you see a lot of linearity to it at least i do in my career hmm. i do too and i i'm okay with that i, I actually yeah. there's a comfort in it one thing leads to the other thing doesn't mean that we can't go really far and really out there and any doesn't mean we can't go anywhere right well uh i um uh i'm i'm coming up to portland for my summer trip to visit my uh people my mother and my life there and i deliver in a couple of paintings to clients and if you're playing at all this summer or anything i would love to come see you shake your hand and dot, dot, dot. yeah we will stay in touch i love it i hope to see you bumping around town johnny yeah, maybe at the coffee shop, Breast on Twenty Third is my favorite place. You might All right, well, I'll know what you look like now. So yeah. I'll be... that's right. And uh, I'll tell AG that you said hello, Ron. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank I, you for taking. I, I probably text with him just about every other day now. Do you really? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah when his yeah. wife first opened uh, their little store, my daughter, you know, like modeled for them on the news or something like that. And, oh, is that right? Great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, him and his wife, they're Tina, very nice people. Awesome folks. Yeah, great folks. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Johnny. We really well, thank you for having it, me, man. guys. It was yeah. really yeah. a Love good time. Love this conversation. Yeah, we could keep going for sure. All right. Peace out, everybody. Take care. See you next Take time, care, Johnny. Thanks, guys. JB. Field dressing, Johnny Boyd. It was fun for me to realize I knew who this person was. That like, was cool. Like I actually like not like I knew who he was from you telling me who he was and your story and experience <clears> with him. <throat> but then for me to go like, oh wait, I actually I kind of know this. Like I I know which you this did during the show, right? Like after. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, so yeah, cool. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't know until we were talking. <laughs> I'm listening to him. Yeah, and I'm like. Oh shit! I know. I know. Is one of his uh, guitar plays. I, I didn't realize they were so close. Which is one of, of the worst. They are unexpected. Fucking, yeah. yeah, that was awesome. And, so awesome. Yeah, and Johnny, if you're listening to this, I'm looking forward to hanging out. He texted me afterwards, and he's like, "Hey, Daniel, gave me your phone number, and 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 I like what you're into, and and uh, let's let's keep talking." Oh, so, the only reason he texted me was to get your number. 
Sorry, man. <laughs> Just I know. kidding. I know. <laughs> Just kidding, Johnny. I know you. I know you, I know you did. I know you didn't do me like that. I mean, if I was in his shoes, <laughs> I would do the same thing. Okay, you can both go fuck yourself. <laughs> well, I'm coming up to Portland this summer, and if we could arrange, I'll probably be a... gone. I'll probably be gone. <laughs> you're like, I'm, you're like, you don't know when. You're like, I don't really care. <laughs> I'm gonna. Be, I'm definitely traveling then. <laughs> I hope it would be so fun for the three of us to go hang out somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I would love that. We're like, I don't know. I have like fantasies in my head, you know, like the, how you can make a situation the best. And I was like, well, what if Ron and Morgan and Johnny and his wife, and then I had a date and then we all went and had a great dinner, you know? But then I was like, some of the, some of the, some of the women that I, that I drag up to situations like that, they would be a little bit of a, a wild card. You're just going to let me keep talking and burying myself, aren't you? <laughs> You're such a dick, dude. The look on Ron's face right now is fucking restless. <laughs> that sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm this totally... Awful. Sometimes, sometimes I do that. Sometimes I'll start talking and I'm just telling a story. I'm making it, things up. Like, I don't date on, you know, uh, floozies. <laughs> You'd probably do, be cooler though. if you did. <laughs> floozies. Nice. That what the what is a floozy? What the good question? I'll look it up. You uh you um. I feel so, like a floozy is probably like uh that was meant to be. That was probably a word meant to to speak ill of a woman and is now considered like half of a half of a uh, uh, a compliment. Well, I hear what you're saying. Technically, a floozy, according to Goog, is a young woman who has many casual sexual partners or who dresses or behaves in a sexually product. Okay, I do. I do date floozies. I take it back. You exclusively date floozies. <laughs> no, that's, that's not true. Ron and I are joking. Okay, but but uh, you can't cover your tracks like well, that. Well, what if some of my floozies are listening? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm a good dater. I, I choose better every single time, brother. I, I do. I do. Because, I, 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 you know, you know, you're, this is a different subject, but you know, you, you know, you know what you need and what you like and what, what you need and like, and it's important. That's a huge, huge change. But what I, what I was saying and what I actually think would be awesome is, it's just, I would love to shake around Northwest Portland and shake his hand and, He's just someone that um, it was a real, real gem of a moment for me to meet him because of the story of, of who he is and the role he was playing in my life as a singer. Yeah, you would, you have, I'm sorry, I just got a text, a sexy text message from my wife. Nothing takes precedence over that. Nothing. I mean, we might as well not, we might as well stop this recording. Tip of the cap. <laughs> Although if you're going to bring it up on the field dressing, you now need to show me. Sorry, Morgan. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, that sucks. <laughs> That's such bullshit. <laughs> you know, I had a Johnny Boyd in my life. Um, what I mean by that is somebody who I loved their music. I absolutely love their music. Yeah. And I identified with this person a lot. And then, and then, uh, my ex-wife before we got married tracked this guy down, and she played on one of his records because she played violin. Your ex-wife did? Yeah, yeah. Oh. And then, okay. and then he didn't live that far from uh, where her family lived in Orange County. And then she talked him into playing at our wedding, 
Oh, that's awesome. It was fucking awesome. I, to- wow. I totally forgot about that until about six months ago. And I was like, wow. holy shit. That was number one, a very kind and amazing, generous gift of hers to like seek that guy out because I loved him. Yeah. And then for him to come and play the wedding was fucking awesome. I mean, that that's one way this podcast and podcasting why I think like everyone who has any interest should do it because if you, it just change it brings people together, you know. And it's like Sam said on our we recorded another episode, our ninety ninth episode already, and and uh, it's like Sam Lamont was saying where he goes one of his 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 main thing right now is bringing people together. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm with him and it's a, yeah. it's a value, it's a strength. And you know what I liked about Johnny and our conversation and I picked this up on, um, from him cause he and I spoke for about an hour and a half one night. It was a very cool conversation and, um, he had some questions around some things and, um, and what I noticed about him and this was continued on the podcast is that he's, he's kind of angry and pissed off by the music um machine for good reason i think i'm not i yeah obviously you know and he's not the only one i get this from most people and i hear a lot hear it a lot from musicians and so that that's an effect from being ground through a machine for a lot of years and he seems aware of it and while he expresses that frustration he also doesn't go too far down it yeah and stayed too long there you know and i don't know right. him very well maybe he doesn't right. in the rest of his life but in all the encounters i've had with him he's he's expressed that and then he's moved on and i just think that's really healthy for a psyche yeah. to do and it's yeah. also not easy to do it's not easy to do it's way easier and feels in the moment more and i'll use this word loosely oh you actually it feels it feels enjoyable to stay in the resentment to stay in the anger to stay in the pain and and i think there's an addictive quality to it yeah where where it's like you don't you don't you you know you don't even really want to stay there and yet you can't find you find yourself coming back to it over and over i mean the the we're kind of jumping around the timeline of the podcast a little bit but one of the one of the things if you know you're listening to this now if you go to the next episode we talk about um, being in a situation where you have a categorical disagreement with somebody and you both think you're 100% right. And, and the person I reference it, I referenced in that story, like I've most of the time I can walk around the earth feeling like I have no resentment against that person. Yeah. And sometimes what I'll do is someone will, will bring it up and ask me about it. And I will jokingly start to, like disparage the person and yet unfortunately what it does is it actually uncorks real resentment in oh. in a person i'm like oh man i don't actually i don't want to feel that way and and um but i think giving yourself the the room to feel that way to be honest and truthful about it can help express it out like a tube of toothpaste and and my guess is with Johnny is he's probably done something in his life that helps him mo- kind of move on, quote unquote, move on. It's probably and, not as easy as it looked. Fuck for no, us too, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Like not I feel bad. I feel bad for him because I was like, oh, this dude, yeah, has been hurt by this fucking machine. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I'm looking forward to talking to him about that. Just, just getting to know him. He's obviously somebody I was like, this, this person is charismatic, delightful, fun. He, he had a, he had a, he had a, uh, he reminded me a lot of, um, of, uh, what's his name? Coco. Um, Coco, the team Coco, the guy that, um, Conan O'Brien, Conan O'Brien French to me right now. Oh, really? Yeah. The same, they're sim, sim, of similar age and they have cool. uh, their charisma that just gives them a front man feeling. Like they, they, there's a front man quality to both of them. Well, and uh, I would say that, that, that I hear you on that, right? Yeah. And they look similar a little bit. But what I think what got me even more than that is that you could tell he was genuinely happy to be having a conversation with us. Oh, it's fun. And yeah. And curious, you know, and to, to be a front man also in a band for as long as he has and to get all that energy from being on stage, you know, Mm. and, and be able to just show up as a, as a open, available, curious human with a couple of guys who aren't that far down their creative expression yeah. you know i won't say that far i mean he's been doing his thing for decades yeah you know and at at some of the highest levels you know and and to be as well versed as he is in art mm-hmm. and as an artist and painting you know what I, mean? I mean like he wanted to talk about you know that edward hopper show you know that was his idea and, mm-hmm. and how a person changes as an artist and I was just really impressed with all of it because how often do you meet someone who you, the idea of them you admire and then the person that they end up being is even better. Well, I guess for me, I, that often happens, I guess, but it surprises me every time because it's not an expectation. And yeah. I haven't met a lot of like famous musicians, you know, especially like he's in the mythology of my mind. He's very famous, you know, he might yeah. like roll his eyes. At that. I don't know how famous he really is, but you know, and I'm not, I don't get starstruck, but it's just an honor. And it's just cool to meet somebody that it, that was a fiction in your mind up until that moment. And then, then you get to talk and you get to talk about painting and you get to laugh and you, you realize you lived in the same neighborhood together in Portland. And then maybe you get to go like have a cocktail later or something. I just, it, I love life. And I love the, the way that this podcast has brought us together with some people and I feel really, I don't know if you felt this way, Ron, but I felt valued Yeah. by him too. He, he, gave, I, there, I, he gave me permission to turn on my front man. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's something well, I so. repress a lot. I repress it so much. I don't want to, huh. I don't want to be bigger than other people. I don't want to, um, to express my good fortune and my luck and all those things. I, I want to downplay oh. those things in my life. And, uh, you know, I, this is not, a, this is a story I'm going to tell you that I've never told publicly ever. I've, I've only Ooh, mentioned it to a couple people. Good hook. And I was, I was a big conference and I'm sitting at a table of men who are much older than me. And we were talking about some, some projects we were working on. And, and I was describing the project that I was having and, I, and the success I was having and how, and I was able to do so with a family and other things that were going on. And then, and then my wife appears like down, down the aisle from where we're walking. She's walking towards us and this, and I like wave at my wife and she like blows me a kiss or something. And the guy, this guy, the kind of leader of the group looks over her shoulder. He looks at her, he looks at me, he goes, that's your wife. 
He's like, yeah. He goes, you're telling me that's your wife, that you're having this success in your life, that blah, 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 blah. He's like, you should write a fucking book, man. And, and I, and I couldn't own that in that moment. I didn't feel deserving of anything at all. And, and I've thought about that a lot, like that. I just couldn't be like, I couldn't like just enjoy that. I was like, it all feels like a dumb accident. It feels like a Yahtzee bowl, like whatever the, the yeah. thing that holds the Yahtzee thing together. I just shook up and I just happened to like, it happened to spell amazing yeah. that one day. And, and I've been in a situation recently, a work situation recently where I'm around folks that genuinely don't have some good fortune in their life. Like they have their, their cards are bad and it to, and I don't think it's their fault. I really don't. And now it's given me this perspective of like, man, sometimes you're dealt a hand that you need to fucking play and just own it and enjoy that front man quality or the good fortune, whatever it is, because not everyone gets that. And, and just to look at it and be like, nah, this, I'm going to toss this hand when it's perfect and it's really good is kind of a fuck you to the universe and, and to everything that's good that's happened to you. That's how I'm, I'm, I'm you know, interpreting that in my life right now. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know what that is. I, don't, I actually, I don't even need to know what it is. I don't need to like wrestle with the guilt of why anymore. I really don't. And, and instead go, man, sometimes, sometimes, um, yeah, sometimes it's just good and, and you need it. And, and it's not to, it's not to downplay my hard work or any of those things. And, and I think to Johnny's point, like he, he see reads to me like a person who works really hard for everything he does. And he's very thoughtful about everything he does. And then he plays the cards. And, and I think to, you know, my own analogy, sometimes the cards just don't work even when all the good things are in place. And that's, I think, why you get mad, why we feel resentful, why we, we feel chewed up. Well, and even if you are, for some reason, suppressing that, like, quote, frontman quality or that luckiest man alive you yeah. know, quality or um, that charm, whatever it is, I think the, the you that comes out when you, the royal you, like, suppresses some quality like that actually comes off a little fake and uh, interestingly enough like you like you don't want to be like if i suppress some quality that wants to come out but i think it's going to be arrogant if i let it out so i suppress it the suppressed version of that is kind of comes off arrogant a little bit to me um when i do that or if i don't want to if i don't want to be the center of attention if some part of me the little kid in me wants to be the center of attention and i don't let it out then it, ironically, I noticed that in some ways in my life, I'll come off like someone who wants the center of attention. Why? Because you're not giving that to yourself. So you do want the center of attention and it, yeah. it's going to come out. And I know I'm kind of speaking a little bit around, like it's coming off a little bit cryptically, but I think there's something there, like letting that part of ourselves out that wants to be seen and that wants to be successful and other people are like, Whoa, and they shine that on you. And then you like cower from it. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. you know, it's one of our, our guests, uh, Ryan price, like back in the twenties, episode twenties, you know, he has been a guy who's always been able to take a compliment and he doesn't, he doesn't like want more, you know, 
but he would never be like play the humble like, oh I'm so be modest you know he'll just be like thanks yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah. and he's one of the luckiest people I've ever met he's Pro- like you probably because he just fucking goes with it like thanks you go with it yeah totally man like, catches the pop fly th- throws it back to home like he's like we did it that's what I'm talking about he doesn't come off arrogant at yeah. all yeah so I think that there's a lesson there and I'm not saying I, I don't know how much we're talking about Johnny anymore you know because I right. don't know we didn't really get into this and I didn't get like a, a, a you know yeah but that that what you're talking about with your life is like man yeah you charmed dude you're privileged and charmed so yeah I am. what are you gonna do with it yeah. you're gonna be like no 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 I'm not oh, just, you know it's like fuck yeah. that man dude go spend it and at the same time and at the same time i I was thinking about this is like the most charmed and privileged things in my life are the result of decisions i've made like like i've made a lot of decisions i've I've like said no to relationships and yes to others i have worked hard towards other things and then then when they happen it feels like an accident it's like wait a second like i've actually worked for a lot of this stuff i've been very 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 intentional who I'm married to, the quality of our relationship, how I live, where I live, the way my whole lifestyle, these are, none of it is on accident, not a single fucking thing. It is, it is me deciding I want certain things in my life. And yet it does come across as charmed in a lot of ways because there is the, that elemental, that like magical element that's, that is like on top of those layers. Well, you were born handsome. You know, you're born with good hair. You're born, you know, there's there's stuff that was just given to you. That's well, true. So, yeah, that's true. You I know, was born in the 20th You're century. born six foot one, you know? <laughs> I'm serious, dude. Your life at six one is different than I am Why five eleven funny? and three quarters. Are you serious? Six foot with boots on and tall hair. Yeah, my point is is you're like yeah. six foot, you know, and the difference between six foot and five nine is is a different experience of life. Yeah a palpable amount hey, six foot six, six four two yeah. that's what i'm saying if you're yeah, six yeah. four like it's your true. son what is he six three or something he's gonna be tall he's he's six foot now i mean he's tall because everyone him. seems so much taller than it <laughs> johnny boy is seven four right oh at least <laughs> <Sitting down. laughs> at least but like my point is is that like yeah you know there's certain advantages that you were given that were just given yeah. you know but you didn't squander them you know right yeah. despite you know your best efforts <laughs> <laughs> despite every part of me trying so hard to sabotage you. to shoot myself in the foot that's amazing i think about that a lot like with the like like beautiful women is something that I've, i was like thinking the other day i was like wow i've dated a lot of really beautiful women like i've gotten everything i could out of this body <laughs> it was like a, all of the like looks you know the you're not class- you're not a an ugly person like we were, my kids and I were watching yeah, movies of the night and Viggo Mortensen was on the screen, who I think is a very handsome person. And, and I've heard women talk about how handsome he is. And my daughter and son both go, Daniel's an actor. Like there he is. And they were convinced that that was you. And I, I, went, I, get I went along with it. I went along but, with it for a good while. But <laughs> the, I hear you. Thank you. I, I heard that. I know I'm not bad looking, but it should be ignorant to suggest that there aren't levels of good looking classic good looking what you do with that and your personality can make you very ugly in a really beautiful body big time you know, i get all that i'm not trying to just kick myself but like i know where i stand in the like good looking spectrum if you do online dating for a few years you'll know right oh, where you stand i do not want to do online dating 
you would done. crush but okay. i would i would be <laughs> i would i would go into a dark hole of addiction i know i would i i know would be on a shout of a doubt that i would my point I would go on is, crazy benders my point is yeah. that if you as far as like success in life you're given certain things and certain levels of certain things great example that is height and you what are you going to make of it you know I'm five nine. Oh no, this sucks. I wish I was no, no, no. There's people who are five, six, men who are five six, five two. You've got you're good. You can compare yourself to people who are taller. Compare, compare yourself to people shorter. Compare yourself to anybody. And what I'm just saying is like I really value. It's kind of one of the things we talk about in this show. If you develop yourself on all the levels, you'll be attractive in this world to women yeah. or men to people sexually, you know, and to employers, and you're gonna make it. You know, and I just feel like, you know, you and I have done a pretty good job of getting what we have gotten out of the bodies and the minds that we were given as when we were born and up through seven years old. You know, it's kind of like the stuff we didn't have any control over, you know, mm -hmm. and I just admire that about you. You know, I admire that about you and I pat myself on the back. I'm like, you know, we don't blame people or victimize and Maybe it's easier for you and I not to do that than it does other people. But I know yeah. people who are given more than we were who do do that and that goes back to what i was talking about johnny is like i thought that was pretty cool where he just like checks his um his understandable frustration mm. and chooses at least in our conversations to recognize that we can explore it but then also be like move on to something else to to explore and to talk about i agree i think we need to wrap this up because because part of me could go a lot longer and we're already 25 minutes it's perfect this. give me one little closing thought on all that though hit me no i'm asking oh you want me to yeah. um my closing thoughts around our time with the johnny is um we've been talking about renaissance men since uh Paya Hush um puya hashimi yeah and and you wouldn't even get into Johnny's uh, vintage belly. Know, did, belly. What we? are those called? Belly. Well, he calls them belly warmers. Belly warmers. Big fat ties. They're fat ties from the 40s. And he has thousands. Almost 10,000. Yeah. <laughs> and he sells them online. Like, like <laughs> I didn't even know 10,000 existed on earth. <laughs> and, and there they are. And they're, and they're like curated. Like he has like a very sommelier quality to to this whole thing and i and i was watching him and i was like man he's so well spoken he's he his he's a performer he's a musician he's got this whole vintage by vibe about him he knows a lot about art it gave me more permission to kind of follow those threads mm. of things that i really enjoy in my life yeah and allow myself quality. to be be a bit of a renaissance man and, and enjoy it well, I think what you're saying, maybe not as much Renaissance man, is is it is getting really is being a connoisseur of something, or several things of you know being a connoisseur of a few a few different things. Because you have that quality where you got really you know a lot about different things. You know, you know a lot about really specific types of things. So I, I encourage you to lean into that too, man. It's it's actually very, it's very interesting to be around someone who can like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> who's gone really far down a, a, a line, you know, of, of exploration. So curious what you come up with in the next 10 years. Go get him, Tiger. Yeah, you too. You too. All right, <laughs> let's, uh, let's keep doing this. All right, All right man. Adios.